0: welcome once again to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series, God Reigns in the Rain, looking at Psalm 5 and thinking about what comfort we derive there as we go on a journey with David through difficult circumstances. We don't know the specific circumstances, but we know that David is looking to find some security in a very insecure time. If you're looking to to see chaos in a in a bottle. If you're looking to feel insecure in the moment, one of the best ways to do that, I think, is to show up at the local DMV. I'm pretty certain everyone listening tonight would agree with me when I say that it's not a fun experience to go to the driver's license office whether it's to renew our, our car's license plate or to get a driver's license, it's an unpleasant experience and most of us dread it. If you're talking about something and you need an example of a place people don't want to go, you just say DMV and everyone nods in agreement. Well, I needed to go there last week to have my license renewed. And as I went in, I already knew I was missing something I needed to get what I was trying to get, which would have been a real ID that That new authenticated i d that's been slowly rolling out across the country and allows you in a few years to still get on airplanes and go in federal buildings, something that a traditional license won't I guess they apparently they put a little star on the license or something, and it says that it's been authenticated. They've looked at your birth certificate and other documentation they know you are who you say you are well, that's what I was missing. I didn't have my birth certificate and Unfortunately, I found it just after going to the DMV, but I didn't have it when I went in. I knew that, so I I knew I wasn't going to get it, and I knew no matter how much I insisted to the nice lady who was helping me, and she was indeed nice despite the reputation of the license bureau, she wasn't going to give me a real ID no matter how much. I said, I am Tim. This this is who I am, and and look, here's my old driver's license, and I do know my social security number, and here's a utility bill. None of that was going to get a real ID star put on that license. It just wasn't going to happen. I needed something from outside to authenticate who I was. And as we find ourselves in the cast of life, it can often feel like we're we're living in a giant DMV. We're constantly standing in lines, constantly waiting, and constantly feeling like we arrive at the counter realizing we're missing something. What do we do in those moments? What David does and what we're each called to do is to turn to the only one who can truly authenticate us. We want a path out of that chaos, just like I want a path to still be able to go any place that an ID should let me into down the road. We need someone who can authenticate it. And we can say how great we are. We can say how strong we are. We can say how resilient we are. And for one, we know that's not really true, but no matter how much we say it, it isn't going to do it. But God offers that authentication. And that's what he gives to David, and that's what he gives to us as we trust in him, that better than a real ID, God gives us the ID of heaven. And, and as we live in the chaos, as we wait in those lines, we know that we've been authenticated before him. So let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer, ask that he would remind us of that authentication tonight, assure us of it, and dig into what we find in the psalm that reminds us about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for giving us confidence when we don't necessarily feel it. Lord, a lot of times it does feel like life is just one giant motor vehicle bureau where we're standing in line and waiting, arriving at the counter and realizing we don't have the right materials, going and searching for them and not being able to find them and and knowing things but not being able to prove them hoping things but not being able to see them necessarily come about in the moment. And Lord, as we find ourselves in those situations, would you remind us of who we are in our Savior Jesus, that we might have the comfort that comes from your Son. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What we see as we continue into verse seven of Psalm five is that the, the way that we can know that we can come into God's presence isn't how great we are. We've already been hearing about the people who are very much not great that are opposing David, but it isn't how great we are. It's not that we can authenticate our own ID, but it's out of God's love. And that's what we see here. Take a look. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Notice what David says there, and it's so, so important. Let's just take a look at it again. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. David isn't saying, I'm going to enter your house, and I'm going to tell you how much I love you, and then there's going to be steadfast love. No, what is he saying? He's saying, out of your steadfast love, I get to come into your house. Those are beautiful words. We don't want to pass them up quickly. And and as we think about what we've been seeing in this adventure, if we think back to verse 4 last week, David says that evil may not dwell with you. And we talked about then that David knows his sins. We, we have other Psalms that speak very clearly from David's own voice about his sin. He, he's not in denial of that. But he knows that in God, that in God's love and his steadfastness, as it's phrased here, That God's love is what authenticates his presence. That evil can't dwell in the presence of the Lord, but those who trust in him because of God's own love can dwell in his love. And so it is that he says, but I through the abundance of your steadfast love. Steadfast love comes even before he enters into his presence to worship him that day. He has petitions to bring. He has troubles. We've been talking about those. Chaos is raining around him. He's standing in that DMV line, but he knows that God loves him. So he can come before God and that God will accept him because of that love from God. He's the one doing it. Just like I can't get that license because I will it. I can't get the right to be in God's presence because I will it how do I get to be in God's presence? Because he loves me enough to give that love to me, to bring me into his presence. And in a way that sounds kind of unsettling to us. We like to be in control. We like to know that we're the reason things are happening, but it should actually give us confidence. Because if it's up to me to prove that I'm able to go into God's presence, then I need to do enough good things. I need to work hard enough. I need to somehow be good enough in some measure that I come up with to, to be worthy of that. I certainly can't go by God's standards because I fall short of it over and over again. So I, when we do this, we play these gymnastics with ourselves and we come up with our own standard. And I say, I, I've done all this stuff, God, I've done this and I've done this. I've been nice to people. I've, I've, I preached several sermons this week. I've not run over anybody while I was driving around. Um, You know, stuff like that. I, I come up with those things and I'm basically a good person. So you should let me in. But what do we know when we say that? We know all the times we've fallen short. We know all the times that we're driving around and yes, we didn't run over anybody, but the person that walked across the street when we clearly had the right of way is really frustrating us. When that person swerves in front of us and and we wish it didn't matter and we could just speed up and and push them off the road because they weren't supposed to do that. When, When someone comes and asks us for help and we just don't feel like doing it and we don't, we know those times. Can we really even begin to think that we can come before God and say, I've earned my right to come before you? Clearly, no. But whether you've ever done it before or you come before God every day, you can know that today can be the day that you can come before God and say, I'm going to dwell in your house. I'm going to come into your presence, not because I am so much better than the people being called evil here. I'm evil too, but because of Jesus's righteousness. This is the heart of the gospel that that we can believe in him. We can confess our sins and that God looks at us and sees us as the righteousness that only he can have because he loves us. That's what David's talking about here. You think about maybe you have a dollar bill in your wallet. I realize we don't carry as much cash anymore, but pull one out or, or go into a drawer and pull one out. And when you hold it up, you're going to see something on, on that, that bill, it, a dollar bill. If you have a larger bill, wonderful. Isn't that great? But what does that bill say? Well, hopefully it says, in God, if we trust, that's a wonderful thing to say. But it also says something else. It says that it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. It's sealed with the seal of the United States to say what? To say that the United States has authenticated this piece of paper that really isn't worth much of anything. And said it's worth something. You might say, well, but inflation, it's worth less and less, but it's still worth far more than the paper itself. And especially as those bills get larger, you have a $20 bill or a $50 bill, $100 bill. Clearly, the thing you're holding isn't worth what it says. And yet it is because it's been backed by something that is worth that. When God says that we're righteous, we're not righteous on our own. If there were some objective place where we could trade ourselves in and based on our righteousness and receive that the, the value of that righteousness, we'd get nothing back. We are unrighteous. And yet God says, the people that love me, the people who follow me, the people who say they want to be mine, what am I going to say about them? I'm going to say they're backed by my full faith and credit and are of the full righteousness of Jesus. That God himself in the flesh who dwelt on the earth perfectly, everything that he earned it's ours. And when we see that, when we know that, then we know that that the promises God says are there for the people who believe in him, are there for us, not because we've earned them, but because he said that he loves us. And, and how wonderful that is, because otherwise we we end up in this horrible place where we wonder, well, is God really going to come through on his promises? I don't know if I qualify for them. But if you've trusted in Jesus, you do. And that's what we find, that God not only guides us through his love, but he guides us to his promises through that love. And that's what we see in verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. What does the psalmist say? What does David cry out here? He says, lead me, Lord, In your righteousness, he wants to be led in the righteousness that isn't yet in him, but is being credited to him. He wants to look more like the God who says, I'm going to look at you and see what only I can do because I love you. And in all the tumult of the time, whatever David's going through, whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, we can come to God and say, oh, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. And he is faithful to draw us more and more into his righteousness doesn't mean we're there yet, and it doesn't mean suddenly we're going to start earning. It's still him that's doing it. It's still him that's declaring that we're righteous. And yet, he also allows us to start to experience what it's like to do a little bit more like what we're supposed to be doing, to to be a little bit more the people we're meant to be and to to rejoice in that. That's what David's asking for here. I'm sure as David is, is writing this psalm because he is reflective about his own sin, that he's knowing how far short he falls. And he's saying, I don't want to be there. I want to be where you are. I want to be righteous like you, God, because I want to be with you. I want to be united with you. I don't want there to be any separation. And he knows that God's going to honor that. What else do we know that God is going to honor in his promises? Well, we also know that he's going to take away the false, the people who oppose him. Verse nine, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Now, we might say, David, how how can you say this? You know that you fall short. How can you say this about other people? What it really comes down to, what David is really saying is God protect me, protect those who follow you from the people who have no interest in following you. And he can say this knowing that God actually does this. Verse six, you destroy those who speak lies. We looked at that last week. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Someday God's going to return and just like that doorbell, there's going to be unexpected ringing of that door. God is back and the question is, am I going to be ready to answer that doorbell? Am I going to be ready to say, Lord, I'm here and now I get to fully dwell in your presence just as you promised because I know you and I love you and I'm so thankful? Or are we going to say, oh no, I was hoping you wouldn't come yet because I'm not ready. I haven't been righteous enough yet. I was going to earn my way or I didn't really think you were going to come. Where do we fall in that? That's the challenge we're receiving here because David is talking about this and he's not talking in some way that he's asking for something unrealistic. No, what he's saying here is he says this about these people is he knows that God is actually going to do that with them. Make them bear their guilt, O God. That's what we all should experience. Let them fall by their own counsels because they've been thinking that they're worthy enough, but they're not. We all can be thrown out because of the abundance of our transgression, but the key thing there is they've rebelled against God. And we are all in rebellion against God until and if we trust in him. And that's why if maybe you're tuning in tonight and you're thinking, oh no, another fire and brimstone sermon from a preacher of the gospel. Why do we always have to talk about that? I have to do this. I have to do this. It's not meant to be a bad thing. It's meant to be a good thing because the thing that you have to do is just to know Jesus. You don't have to get everything right right now. He's the one that's going to do that. You just have to trust in him. That's not a hopeless message. That's not a message of despair. That's a message of the best hope we can get because we spend so much of our life trying to to make everything work, to make the the ends meet to to pull together the different pieces that we have envisioned of our the puzzle of our life. We're trying to do all that and it doesn't come together. God says, I'm going to bring it together. And you can count on that because I've authenticated who you are. So you know that you're going to be let into the building. You know, you're going to be let into my kingdom because I've already put the stamp on your ID that says you're a child of mine if you trusted in me. And you can do that right now and trust in it. And then because we know that we qualify for it and we see how God repeatedly is faithful to his promises, we can know that he's both going to draw us into that righteousness and he is someday going to cast away those who refuse it, who who oppose us as we seek to walk along with him. It doesn't have to be that way. They can trust too, but in their rebellion, if they choose not to, in our rebellion, if we would choose not to, we get cast away. But we know the promise is there and it's going to fulfill everything that we could hope for. We just have to trust in him. Last week I mentioned I was really looking forward to the upcoming Apple presentation. I always enjoy watching those, the the unveiling of their new products. I'm a tech geek, you know that, and it's exciting. It doesn't matter if I'm due for a phone upgrade or not. It doesn't matter if I'm ever going to actually use that particular product. I just find it exciting to see how they can push the boundaries of technology. And and of course, everybody knows, or they should know, that the iPhone is the best phone out there. I mean, that's just true, and Android users, you'll understand that eventually. Uh, So how exciting it is to to get to see that presentation. In fact, though, I actually even enjoy watching the, the presentation from Google on the Android phones, because I I just like seeing the rumors that build up and then seeing the unveiling of new products, things that enable us to take better pictures or, or do all kinds of things we never imagined before with these devices. It's exciting and especially it's exciting when those rumors build up and build up and build up and then this is why I love the Apple presentations in particular it feels like Apple always exceeds what's been rumored it may be not everything rumored happens but there's always something that's just amazing wow I can't believe they managed to do that with the camera this year or I can't believe it can intelligently know exactly how to switch to this at this particular moment isn't this amazing Something that actually I I walked away from the presentation this time a little disappointed in because the rumors had sounded quiet but decent and it ended up being even quieter. They didn't fulfill everything. Our question sometimes before God is, is God going to fulfill everything? Is it going to be that the things that are promised in the scriptures are going to really happen? Or are there all these rumors of another world, as one author put it, that sound really good? We're all excited the, the, all the, the rumor mongers are, are busy publishing stuff about it. Certainly lots of people speculating about what heaven will be like and so on. It's going to fall short, fall short either because we're not eligible, just like you see some new product announced, some new phone, and you realize you're not eligible for an upgrade. Maybe won't be eligible to come into God's presence, or is it going to be that it's going to somehow fall short, that things are still going to be all chaotic and messed up? What do we know about our God? What do we see throughout the whole testimony of Scripture? God doesn't fall short. The rumors of what will be will look like dim illusions, dim, disappointing, worst ever product announcements compared to what God is actually doing. When he says he's going to make everything right, when he's going to make us righteous even though we're not, when he's going to cast away those who oppose him, who are unrighteous and have no desire to walk in the way of the Lord, he will do that too, and we will someday experience a world in which everyone who calls on him, everyone who wants to be in his presence, everyone who recognizes that they're in rebellion and no longer wants to be, will, will dwell in the midst of a world purified and made righteous by a loving God. And that we can be a part of that. That the eligibility for that upgrade is simply to call on him like you can right now. And that all of us, I pray, will do. Because what a wonderful thing that is. Would you pray with me, please? Father, would you help us as we struggle in life and try to sort things out? And sometimes we, we fear maybe maybe we won't be eligible for the upgrade to heaven. Maybe we fall, we'll fall short and Of course, the answer is we do fall short, but you don't. And we wonder, will it really be that great? And yet we know that your promises, there's no no way we can describe how great the things that you are doing and will do truly are. So Father, would you give us confidence in those promises? And would you give us hope in this moment as we, we struggle? Would you remind us that we can look at that ID card, the ID card of your word, and we see, wait, I'm approved. All I need to do is to call on Jesus. And everything promised and things beyond our wildest imagination will be true because we will be in the very presence of the creator of all things. As we struggle with the chaos of this life, Lord, would you give us hope and confidence in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that this was an encouragement to you tonight, and we're actually going to really build on that. I know I say that every week. I I hope that each week is encouraging, but next week we're going to really double down on the encouragement as we wrap up Psalm 5, so I hope that you'll join me in that. and In the meantime, you'll help more people join in this weekly encouragement in God's Word by giving this a like, giving a share, leaving a comment, all those interactions you do, every way that you help us to get the Word out, helps to either directly by inviting someone personally or indirectly by showing your interaction with it and telling the social media networks that you like it, help other people to discover this journey through God's word. there's any way I can be praying for you, maybe you're struggling with feeling unworthy or you're struggling with those promises of God, I'd love to pray with you. You can shoot us a text at our prayer line, 833-356-4032. Or leave a question, comment, prayer request in the comments below and we can all pray for each other together. Such a blessing to in this with you and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week and I'll see you again next week.